Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end with the recommendations for further reading, further watching, inspired by this week's film. Before we kick off, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. Well, Sam, there's only been really one thing worth watching this week, isn't there, Sam? Yes. And that is the great bitch figure final. The GBBO final. Uh, the last ever episode of Bake Off on BBC. Listeners, I asked Rob about this just now off air and he said, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm saving it for later. So, right, go for yeah. it. So essentially, I mean, those that, any, anyone international listening, GBBO is a, a very British show in which 12 bakers over the course of 10 weeks bake... And it's a talent show essentially. So in many ways, it's in the same stable as X Factor or The Voice or Strictly Come Dancing or anything that kind of stuff. Strictly, I suppose, is the in many ways a better analogy than some X Factor in that you start with the people and each week they have a task to do. Um, but unlike Strictly, no one here is bad at it. They are all. They've all. They already are good bakers. We are looking for the best mm. baker. So Master Chef is probably a slightly better comparison. You're starting with people who are good. Um, and this show has been running now for possibly seven, eight seasons, things like that. Um, and it has followed the same format since day one. There are three challenges each week. There is Star Baker. There's someone go home. It is a very genteel show. It is a very collegiate show in that people help each other out there isn't the kind of backstabbiness you get in other talent shows and it's a very British show and in in an age especially in current politics where the idea of Britishness is very much in flux and very much up for debate and combat shall we say Bake Off felt innately British in a way that was hard to put into words it's all lovely but earlier this year the announcement was made that the production company Love Production House had decided to sell Bake Off to Channel 4. And having been built up and grown on the BBC, there was a large outcry about this, obviously going from a non-commercial broadcaster to a commercial broadcaster, um, and a lot of worries about how a show such as this will survive in a commercial environment, um, which does produce shows like Big Brother and that kind of thing. And so... Whilst I do love Bake Off generally, this week had a certain resonance and a certain, I don't know, pathos in that we were well aware this was the last one that will exist like this. Also, of the four regulars, so the two presenters and two judges, three of them are not going with it, Channel 4. So only one judge and none of the presenters are moving with it. So whatever Channel 4 end up with next year, it isn't going to be the Bake Off. Um, and there are many reasons around this. There's money situations here. There is, I believe, some sort of, shall we say, disagreement over the fact that BBC have launched things like the Great British Sewing Bee and other rip-offs of the format, shall we say, to, in other areas to try and capitalise on it. So there is good and bad on both sides. Um, but Bake Off was something that was important to me, and only follows me Twitter knows how much I care about this show. And this felt like the end of an era to me. So whilst I was very happy with who won and very much enjoyed the hour of TV... It came with a bittersweet pill at the same time. Right. Sam, I have to say, it's one of the few programs like that that I will watch, and it's, it's partly for that collegiate reason and 
Well, two things, I suppose. As you say, it's it's finding the best out of people who are already good. So there's there's no... The, the viewers aren't encouraged to look down on anyone. And then, secondly, they all help each other out. And it's just... It's mm. just it's just nice, and yeah, I, I was a bit sad about it. So, um, I've got something rather happier, um, because I have a film that I saw this week, which is, if you look at the plot, then it's bizarre and it's not really worth watching. It's just a generic, fun action film, and it's sort of it's a popcorn film. Um, and it's a film called Red, or R-E-D. Mm. Um, and so, as I say, if you, if you look at the plot and you look at the way the characters interact and you look at things like Brian Cox's bizarre Russian accent, it's it's a popcorn film. It's a throwaway sort of 6 out of 10 at best. But actually, I was looking at this after um, looking at that... Every Frames of Painting, Edgar Wright video that we talked about last week. And this is one of the most brilliantly, innovatively shot films that i ever seen. Um, and, and I suppose an example of this was, was something that um, Tony Zhu talks about in that video, is the, um, the way that Edgar Wright does um, transitions between cities. There's something else you get in red. Um, and the transitions were presented as pictures that form a wish you were here collage each time. And the camera actually moves through them. So you actually inhabit mm. a new space. And also there's a, there's a narrative link to the postcards that one of the characters has on her desk at the beginning. So that, those sort of things, it was just beautifully shot. And the editing was interesting. And it struck me as the way that... that we, we talk about cinema a lot, the way that shots can be used for a narrative purpose as well as something purely functional, as well as getting from A to B. So I, I love this film, and having, having seen those videos, it made me think about why I enjoyed it so much. And it was just, it was a really well put together film. And I suppose it would have been, it mm. would be better to have a better plot, but it, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it. I agree. I haven't seen the second one, um, but I very much really concur with your your vision of the first one. I haven't seen the second one either. So I suspect that the second one may not be as good as the first one. But yeah. So from one end of of the film spectrum to the other, this week we are looking at the 1992 sequel to last week's film, Army of Darkness. <laughs> Age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong, something's amiss. And a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. This one was souls! And about to die! What it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Trapped. In the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick! Army of Darkness picks up essentially where the previous film left off. So either two ended up with Ash and his trusted car being thrown back in time to fight the Deadites in a 
medieval era and this film takes off exactly where they were ash is bringing his certain 21st century sensibility and his well, um, and his technology and his personality and everything to what is essentially a classic action fantasy film with some horror elements thrown in for those who are fans of the show of, of this movie we watched the original american release so it had the smart ending rather than the original ending or the uk vhs ending which had a slightly different ending um and we'll cover those in time once again you've got um sam raimi at the helm you've got bruce campbell starring as ash uh, apart from that it's almost entirely new cast from the films we do get a short recap of the start of the film um but apart from that it's all medieval with uh, stop motion bad guys and knights and all that kind of thing Sam, so far you've been uh, one-on-one for the two films. So far you drew one and didn't like the other one as much. What were your thoughts on Army of Darkness? Um, hmm. See, this, this is a bit of a curate's egg of a film. Um, I think I may be one and a half, one and a half for this whole series. Um, I quite enjoyed the beginning. It was strange to feel sort of thrown back into 1300s and yet, it felt a bit Mad Max-esque with the car and the chainsaw and it felt a bit steampunk-like and that was that was interesting. And I really enjoyed the way that this kind of rewrote the end of the second film and it, it presents Bruce Campbell as... Um, he, well, he doesn't shoot the deadite and he gets... he, he gets thrown in chains in, in a kind of different scene from the end of Evil Dead 2 and in the mm-hmm. same way that Evil Dead 2 is kind of a reworking of Evil Dead 1 so it's like each time Sam Raimi thinks what can I do with this film now and it, he doesn't it, it's not like he takes the first film as sacrosanct and then builds on it he he works with it and he has enough confidence in what he's working with to, to rewrite it a bit mm-hmm. and I also quite like the fact that it just it felt quite fun. It felt like Life of Brian at the beginning, or some something like um, I suppose early episodes of Blackadder, um, and yeah, I'm 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 going through all, all the things I I do like, um, and they they tend to be from the beginning. The geezer of blood from the pit when the first guy gets sent in was was a nice nod to the geezers of blood in, in the second film. So, and I, I like the way that's brilliantly over the top. And I like the way that the camera moved in that scene um, across when when the guy gets shot and then back to Ash. Um, and then it, then it lost me a bit because... I don't like Bruce Campbell's quips and I kind of I kind of appreciated them in the second film because they felt organic and in this one it's like he gets told to play the wisecracking tough guy mm-hmm. and I suppose that comes to a head um, later in the film with him standing on the battlements and what Arthur says to him about guys from the future all, all being assholes or whatever he says 
And I just thought, well, I'm with Arthur. I don't know why Bruce Campbell's being so unpleasant. And I, it, it just lost me. I didn't get on board with the character then. So the the beginning I really liked. There were some prom- promising bits. There were some good elements of comedy at the beginning when you think, well, actually the narrative's going in a, in a horror or an action direction. But ultimately, I just didn't get on board with the Ash character. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, as 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 per our tradition, I, I actually disagree with you here. Surprisingly. Okay. Yeah. Um, those who, who who have listened to all three of the podcasts are clear. Like I love all these films. Like I'm not, I'm not saying bad things about any of these films. Um, I would agree with you that Ash, in many ways, Ash is a different character in every film. He's the same idea of a, of a character. Mm. But it becomes, in many ways, like a meme in many ways, that you've got this idea of what he is and the elements in some of these outfits and the equips and that sort of thing. But each one kind of changes. The first one's kind of nerdy, the second one's in between. This time you've got almost like a, a braggart kind of character mm. in Ash. Um, and the films themselves also, as you say, Sam Raimi isn't too concerned with continuity um, in terms of what happens in the last film and this film and that kind of thing. But you do have a, 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 a vague through line. But once again, it's kind of a kind of like a, it's, it's a meme, and you're picking up bits of it. But the actual continuity the details don't matter too much. I think that you're right. There are some great moments of comedy in this. I think there are some bits that miss the mark a little bit. I think I've, I've often in the past, in the last film, talked about the slapstick nature of it and complimented Bruce Campbell on his nature of here. Bits of this felt weirdly kind of blocky and not with the flow that they had in the second film mm. um, the bottom line for me is that I really do like the character that Ash becomes I do enjoy the sort of the slightly incompetent braggart I think that if I think if he hadn't had the thread of cowardice and incompetence that running through him he would be insufferable but the fact that he kind of screws up the um, incantation several times he kind of is a bit of a coward and he just kind of gets through by the skin of his teeth rather than by any kind of actual skill um, is great. We're coming back to the, the Indiana Jones thing we discussed a few episodes ago in the idea of him being competent enough yes. without being overly competent. And yet yeah, this film is once again turned up a little bit higher so you know he can sword fight rather than you know just kind of get through a fight. Um, and everything's turned up again but I enjoy that. Also, I do think I enjoy fantasy films like this. I enjoy The Lord of the Rings. I enjoy Robin Hood. I enjoy this kind of medieval fantasy, Game of Thrones example. So I'm I'm kind of bought into the setting in the same way I wouldn't be if it was, I don't know, 20s America or, you know, ancient Greece and that kind of thing. I like this period and this kind of ethos of this this area. I get what you're saying about I mean, I, I will maintain that I I really don't I, I don't like what what Ash becomes, but I do. There were parts of Bruce Campbell's performance that I really enjoyed, and and some of it is around his comedy acting. And you mentioned slapstick, but there mm-hmm. are like when he gets to the graveyard and forgets what he has to say. There's some good silent acting he, him and the three books is is a good legitimately good comic scene and it's almost yes. silent and you, you i mean he he screams and dances about but 
there's there's virtually no no dialogue involved. So I I enjoyed that. There were there were some. I mean, I said I didn't didn't like the quips, but there were times that I felt it was good. I mean, good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. I like that line. The when mm. at times when you think, well, what he's what he's on there. And it's what uh, Indiana Jones does, as you said, it with um, shooting the guy who's coming at him with a sword. It's that sort of, I'm not competent enough to beat you, but hey, I've got a gun, so I've just won. Whatever. It's that same sentiment. Yes. And I and I enjoy that. I appreciated that about about Bruce Campbell's performance. Um, yeah, I, I can I mean, see... Me, to jump on there, I really did enjoy his hail to the king baby at the end. That that, that was a bit I did, really did love. Uh, yes. Okay. Right. I I did I did <laughs> think at times when when he says things like that, or oh, the line groovy that comes back and that first appears in the in the second film, I was thinking of Jim Carrey at that point, and I was wondering how. I mean, Bruce Campbell has quite an elastic face. And I wondered whether mm. Jim Carrey is the mask or give me some other characters. Oh, in the Cable Guy, he's that he's that sort of character. So I did wonder whether he he was basing his performances on Bruce Campbell, but I don't know enough about Jim Carrey. So. There's certainly a resemblance there, and, and I think that's the, the growth. I mean, that's why I like these films, and why I like the trilogy of these films is the growth of A, Sam Raimi as director, and B, Bruce Campbell as an actor. Mm. And whilst, I mean, you aren't overly on board with where Bruce Campbell's gone, I like, I mean, I must say I haven't watched these three films in such a quick session in years, but I've really enjoyed seeing how, A, Sam Raimi's skill sets come on over the years, and B, also how um, Bruce Campbell has come on through these films. And, you know, we talk about how the films kind of change, and the first two films were kind of the same film um, one was a bit more comedy um, but obviously this film is a very different departure from the previous film in terms of its genre and in terms of its story um, in many ways we're looking at like a, a mashup we talked last time about Sam Raimi's sort of film knowledge and the references and stuff he's bringing in but I feel this film turns that up once again and we've got a whole different genre of film mm. um, that he's transplanting his stories into and bringing his knowledge to Hmm. I did. I did really like actually the sequence with the army of the dead or the skeletons marching towards the castle, and that's that's something we've seen in in recent years. But we've seen repetitions of that. But it it struck me how how cleverly directed that sequence was, and how that was a and I. I I sound like I'm dying with faint praise when I say legitimately comic, but I'm not. It's mm. very very successful the way that he he manages to work with. What well, it said was it are they their stop motion presume stop motion, presumably yes. yes yeah. So he's Sam Raimi's Raimi's doing doing good work there, and also remember this is early nineties. This is well before. Um, well, anything in the 2000s, something with the CG prowess of Avatar, 
15 years later so there's, there's something yes I suppose I, I was looking back at it with with a word that we've used a lot uh, in preceding episodes is looking back with nostalgia for how mm. how fun films used to be when you could see how they worked and you could see some of the some of the imperfections I think I think there's that's I completely agree. I think there's something about a film exists beyond its actual narrative, it's beyond its text that we like to think about a film being made. We like to think about the actors, and that's why like the actors and directors in our world are so popular and so famous. And we like the, we like the idea of film processes. You know, you look at a film magazine, and there's a lot about behind the scenes going on set. You know, anything like Reddit or Twitter, that's always going around. Look at this very behind the scenes photograph from Star Wars or whatever. Yeah. I think as a culture, we enjoy the idea of how these things are made in the same way we don't, aren't overly interested in things like how books are written like we, we beyond the occasional breakout like um um jk rowling no one really cares how you know dan brown writes his books no we don't have that interest in the process um and i think films like this where you can kind of look at the screen and see you can kind of go, oh no i see how all the behind the scenes all work this exactly and it... um i think that's something that people enjoy mm. and if you take the idea of um, behind the scenes writing a book, it's something that very occasionally you'll have an interview with an author, like I know Will Self might might mm. take you through his office. It's kind of it's kind of a one off, and they're out of the ordinary because people don't care about them. But you're right that there are whole like there are whole industries around. This is I'm aware of the. Irony of the fact that I'm saying this in a podcast about the making of films, but there are whole industries built around this idea of the process of filmmaking and going behind the scenes, and and I suppose another thing is is what's left on the cutting room floor, what mm-hmm. gets edited out of films as well. And I think this film, because as I mentioned earlier, there there is a a a, a different ending to the film out there. There was a originally shot ending that didn't make it to the cinemas. I think that also plays into that. I mean, do you know what the original ending was? No, tell me. Um, in the original ending, when he goes to drink the potion to sleep through time, he drinks too many and wakes up in a now-ruined post-apocalyptic um, London. Um, and it was felt that by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell that, to be honest, Ash was that kind of incompetent that he'd still screw that one up as well. Mm. Um, but the distributors and producers felt that he needed a happy, upbeat ending, thus the smart ending, as it's called, that we saw, uh, where he fights the lights in modern America. That one did lead it into into the, did lead into the now um, Ash vs. Evil Dead TV show that's ongoing. Um, but there was there is a, a different ending out there. See, I I would have really liked that because I didn't like the smart ending. I suppose I'm not the target audience, and I wouldn't. I don't always like happy films, given that The Raid is one of my favourite films. Um, but that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> but um, I would have, I think I would have preferred that in in the vein of this this mashup of genres that you're talking about. That it would have been good for yes him to get something wrong, but also to continue this mashup with a step forward into into steampunk into the future as i suggested right at the beginning of the film 
And it would have been interesting for Sam Raimi, for the distributors to have confidence in Sam Raimi and say, okay, this is where the film is taking you. I, I agree, and it is certainly the ending that I prefer. I mean, it has, obviously, with the TV show, we've now embraced this ending that we've just seen. But I would very much, I, I would enjoy Ash post-apocalyptic. I think that that would be an interesting place to take the mm. film. As we're coming to the close of the podcast, Sam, following this week's film, do you have any further reading for us? Yes. Um, something we've been dancing around, but not mentioned and I actually I've mentioned Edgar Wright a couple of times today and we're gonna do so again because something that was on my mind throughout this is another sort of genre mashup type film um more recently and it was a film that I wasn't sure about at the time but later on rewatchings of it and watching the sequels it just came to love this film. It's Shaun of the Dead. Uh, which I may well have recommended before, but it's, I love that film. And my second one is to do with this sequence, with the skeletons moving towards the castle at the end. And this is one, I mean, I think Shaun of the Dead and its sequels work as a cohesive whole as a franchise. I'm not sure the sequels to this film work at all. And one of the sequels bored me so much, I considered walking out and given that I was watching it on TV in my own house it was that, that's quite something um, but it, the first film of these I enjoyed and I enjoyed the first Pirates of the Caribbean film I must have only seen the first original trilogy I haven't seen, there, there are more after I believe but I haven't seen any of them yes um, but yes I, I agree that the quality drops off after that first film mm. Rob, so I've kind of done two this week and despite we've been talking about genre mashups and neither of mine are a genre mashup recommendation um, but I'm going to take you to two that I do recommend one of which is a 1981 film called Clash of the Titans we are ignoring the remake because it was terrible but the original one with Desmond Davis the director written by Beverly Cross Night Lars Olivier um, basically because the stop motion work in Army Darkness I love and the master of that is Ray Harryhausen um, I was very lucky in my film career to actually work on a Ray Harryhausen film um, called The Night of the Demon. I really loved it. It was one of the most most best experiences of my career in films. And this is the pinnacle of his work. Uh, the Titans with the Titans, Medusa, um, and all that sort of thing. It's up there with Jason the Argonauts, the other one of the era, but this is the one I prefer. I love it, that kind of stop-motion animation and the big fantasy adventure. So if you haven't seen it, if you, you should see it if you've only seen the original the remake you need to forget that one and watch this one um it is it is brilliant my second recommendation is actually a tv show and that i'm sure i've recommended it in the past if not I've, it's been one of my um recommendations around something i've been watching and that is the show gallivant gallivant is a comedy fantasy um musical tv show uh, starring Vinnie Jones and Timothy Omerson and Joshua Sasse as the main character. Um, it's about Galavanta, a, a knight, a hero of medieval years, who's rescuing his princess and fighting the evil king. And almost part of it is like what happens after the credits roll, but in a very funny musical way. Um, the songs are by, I can't remember their name, but uh, the uh, famous people who do all the songs, um, who won all the Oscars, 
men can sign that. Um, I'm I'm terrible at knowing people who wrote these things, but the songs are very good. They're very catchy. Um, it did two seasons and then it was uh, cancelled. Um, it was very self-aware, but in that kind of genre mashup of a musical and a fantasy film and a comedy show, it's it's one of the best, funniest TV shows we've seen in a long time. Great. So, Rob, what are we moving on to now, post Evil Dead? Well, we're not we're not kind of moving on just yet because we have got the remake to watch. Uh. So there was a remake reboot prequel whatever it was called evil dead released i think two years ago so it's different cast different director um but i think it'd be interesting to talk about what they did with that reboot so next week it's just called i think it's called the evil dead the show the film is um but that is for next week right okay i thought i'm i'm sorry and then sam we're out of horror i was, I was getting excited <laughs> <laughs> but till then guys you can come find both of us online at Pussy Podcast. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find me at Rob Kaiju. If you like our podcast, please give us a like, give us a comment or review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us get in front of more people and helps us kind of grow the podcast. Um, and share it. Share it around. And we need friends. Yeah, that, that sounds very needy. needy. Uh, <laughs> but we do. <laughs> yeah, just I've I've heard this technique on another podcast. Do some guerrilla recommendations. Just steal someone's iPhone and download it and make them listen to it. I like yeah. it. That's a good plan. Brilliant. We'll see you guys next week, and we'll talk Evil Dead. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arr.